Do you recall in uh, Luke 24, uh, Jesus was with two of his disciples on the road to Emmaus, and uh, he had resurrected from the grave, and he's, they didn't recognize who he was at the time. But in verse 27, Luke writes, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. I would have loved to have been there for that lesson that day. And I think what he shared that day inspired and encouraged the, 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 the teachings of the disciples and the apostles of the early church, because I think this is exactly what Stephen does with this sermon. He takes these teachers and the elders of Israel through the story of Moses and explains to them what was said in the Scriptures concerning Jesus. And for this reason, I've titled my message today, Jesus and Moses. Because you just cannot miss the parallel. At the heart of his sermon, there are at least 15 parallels between the life of Moses and the life of Jesus. In fact, it's a great exercise. If you ever want to sit down with this part of Stephen's sermon and find all the parallels between the life of Moses and the life of Jesus. This great figure, Moses, who towers over all of the Old Testament scriptures, points us to Jesus. The life of Moses foreshadows the life of Jesus, and you cannot miss it. Moses is the primary figure of the Old Testament, and Jesus is the primary figure of the New Testament, and their lives and their callings parallel one another. Our sovereign God repeats history so that we will not miss Jesus. And it's amazing. And there's great irony here because these teachers of Israel are accusing Stephen of being blasphemous, of Moses. And in response, Stephen is saying, hold up. Y'all don't even know who Moses is. It's like in John chapter 5, Jesus says to perhaps even some of these same teachers, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. But these are the scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. In essence, Stephen is saying, if you really knew who you were accusing me of blaspheming, then you would know that his whole life testifies about Jesus. If you really knew Moses, then you would know Jesus. Let's look at this together. I know it's a large reading. Um, it's, it's really the heart of the sermon, um, and so we're not going to necessarily do a verse by verse, but let's, let's look at this together. He begins in verse 17 with this. 
as the time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham. I mentioned this two weeks ago. This whole thing started with a promise. The first book of the Bible is titled Genesis. In the beginning, God made a promise. Genesis chapter 12 to Abram. To make him into a great nation and to bless him. And that through him, all nations, all peoples, all ethnic groups on earth will be blessed. And so the God of glory, chapter 1, in chapter 12, makes a promise to Abraham. And this is how the story begins. This is how it all starts. And what we discover as this story unfolds through the pages of Scripture, we learn that this God of glory is a God who rescues his people in fulfillment of his promise. That's the overarching narrative of Scripture. Is the God of glory who made this promise in the beginning to Abram rescues his people in fulfillment of that promise. In the Old Testament, God rescued his people through Moses. In the New Testament, God rescues all people through Jesus. I love what N.T. Wright um, says about this. He says, the God that Stephen has come to know in and through Jesus is not a different God from the one made known to their ancestors, but precisely the same one doing the same thing he's always done. The story of the Bible is that God rescues his people in fulfillment of his promise. He did it through Moses, and he's now doing it again in a much greater way through Jesus Christ. The outline for my message this morning um, is to accomplish three things. I, I want to make two pastoral applications from the life of Moses. You can't, I, I've spent all week reading this narrative about the life of Moses and so there's just, there's two pastoral applications from the life of Moses that I want to make for the church. And then the third thing is I want to conclude with a gospel presentation from the life of Jesus. And so that's what I want to do with my outline this morning, these two kind of pastoral applications and then a gospel proclamation uh, at our conclusion. Um, is very commonplace. What Stephen's doing here with the life of Moses is something that was very traditional to do uh, in, in the telling of the story of Moses, and that is to divide his life into these three 40-year blocks. Um, if you kind of, kind of the breakdown here in the sermon, verses 20 through 22 is that first 40 years. It's Moses' years in Egypt. Verses 23 through 29 are the second 40 years, his time in Midian. And then verses 30 through 34 are those last 40 years. Those are his years leading the Israelites. And I've, I've just, I've thought a lot about this story this week um, and want to make these two applications for us today. Um, all of us who follow Jesus, 
um, ask important questions about our life. We ask important questions about our vocation, about what God's doing in our life. We want to be purposeful. We want to use our lives uh, intentionally for the kingdom. We want to serve Christ. We want to do the will of God. Um, most of us will even use biblical language like, what is, um, what is our calling in life? You know, what's, what's, what does God have for me to do? What's my, my mission uh, in this time here on earth? Now, I recognize that the life of Moses is not meant to be a cookie-cutter example for all of us. Um, however, as I've studied his life this week, I want to encourage you to consider his life as you ask those important questions about your life. Uh, I have two children um, who are now in college, and so they're asking these questions. They're asking questions like, what is my vocation? What's, what's my calling? What does God have for me to do? And so perhaps it's just that that's where my heart and mind are right now. Um, but I want us to consider Moses' life as we ask these important questions about our life. I had a mentor one time uh, use a card-playing analogy that was very helpful to me. He said, each one of us has been dealt a hand, and we have to play the hand we're dealt You, you, you've been dealt a hand, and I've been dealt a hand. This includes things like our race. It includes things like our sex, our family of origin, where we're born. None of it's our choice. I, I didn't choose my sex. I didn't choose my race. I didn't choose the parents I was born to. I didn't choose where I was born. As I was watching the Tennessee-Alabama game yesterday, um, little-known fact, my parents, and Jim, and Jim knows this, my parent, my dad's a preacher, um, and my dad looked very seriously at moving our family to a church in Knoxville when I was in elementary school. And so I was thinking, I could have grown up in Knoxville, Tennessee. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? Thankful I graduated high school in Georgia. But, but I could have, right? That wouldn't have been my choice. That would have been my parents' decision, right? Nothing against the Vols, but it was a great game. That was the best game of the college football season so far. But, but I, that could have, we, we all have been given or dealt a set of circumstances in our life that we have no choice about. And when you look at these first 40 years of Moses' life, he was dealt a very specific set of circumstances. He was born a Hebrew slave. He was forcibly abandoned by his birth parents. He was adopted by an Egyptian princess, and he was raised in Pharaoh's palace. Now, Moses has to play the hand he was dealt. And we see in Moses' life our circumstances that we have no choice in the matter. 
play a huge role. They have a huge impact and influence on what we do and who we become. And so we have to consider our circumstances. Second, I do think God calls. I, I believe this with all my heart, that God calls us to do things. He nudges us. He pushes us in certain directions. I believe that. I've experienced that, and I've seen that in the lives of his people. You know, back when I was uh, wrestling with the decision between dentistry or ministry, um, that was a very, very difficult decision for me. It was really, really a struggle. Uh, And it took me a long time to make that decision. I met with a lot of people. I prayed with a lot of people. Um, I searched scriptures. I sought the Lord. Uh, I met with a couple one time who I really admired their walk uh, with the Lord. And I asked them at lunch one day, it was on a Sunday afternoon, downtown Athens after church, and I asked them what they thought I should do. And the wife was convinced that God was moving me and pushing me and nudging me toward full-time ministry. She was convinced of it. I'll never forget what she said to me that day. She said, Barrett, right now, God is just using a wiffle ball bat. Don't make him pull out the aluminum. And I need to hear that from her. Respected her. Thankful for her. You know, there's a really cool um, Hebrew phrase that most translations, unfortunately, don't pick up on. The one we read, the NIV 84 doesn't, uh, but the ASV does, the ESV does, translates it. Well, it reads, in verse 23, it reads, when Moses was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers. It came into his heart. Isn't that good? I I do think God gives thoughts to our minds. God puts motives into our hearts. I believe that's what God did for Moses. It came into his heart to visit his brothers, to leave the palace, and go out and check on the slaves to see how they were doing. Think about it. Moses had spent his whole life living in Pharaoh's palace. He grew up with the elite, the best teachers, the best accommodations, the best lifestyles, and then it came into his heart. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 11 says that it was by faith That Moses, when he grew up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose instead to be mistreated with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. It came into his heart. God calls Moses out to his people. And you know it was a step of faith for him to go out there. Out from the palace, 
to check on his people. It takes great faith to answer God's call. The easy choice would have for him just to stay in the palace, to not get involved, because it's going to be messy and it's going to be hard. And, and what happens when he does get involved? Immediately there's a crisis. It's not smooth sailing. Moses' faith is tested. The first day he goes to visit them, an Israelite is being mistreated by an Egyptian. Moses goes to his defense and ends up killing the Egyptian and having to cover up that murder. The next day, he goes back to visit him again, and this time, there's two fellow Israelites fighting with each other, and he tries to reconcile them, but one of them asks him, what are you going to do? Are you going to kill me too? And so the word's out, and Moses has to flee to Midian, where he spends the next 40 years as a fugitive. When it came into his heart to visit his brothers. I'm certain this is not how he thought it would go. And I share this with you because it's been my observation that often our calling is met with a crisis. Oftentimes when we feel like God places something on our heart, and we take a step of faith in that direction, more times than not, that's met with a crisis. Things don't go exactly the way we thought that they would. And if you've been there, I want to encourage you this morning that just because there's a crisis does not mean you were not called. You know, our our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, was baptized by John the Baptist. The heavens opened up. The Father speaks this wonderful blessing over His Son. The Holy Spirit comes down upon Him like a dove. And then the Scriptures tell us that Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit, where? Out into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. Immediately, there's a crisis, and his faith is tested. You know, this is just one of the many parallels to make between Moses and Jesus. They're both called and then immediately spend time in the wilderness. Moses for 40 years, Jesus for 40 days. My undergraduate degree was in biology, And so uh, when I decided not to go to dental school, I went to Lipscomb to get a master's in Bible. And I met Karen there in Nashville, and we married. And I took my very first campus ministry position at Virginia Tech. And it was a very difficult time for me. The church we went to work with split upon our arrival. And then the preaching minister left. So I was the only staff person there to serve this broken, 
hurt, discouraged group of people. I was 26 years old, newly married, and I, I thought I heard the Lord say ministry. I remember one night Kevin called me just to check on me. And he said I could move to Lexington and become his intern. Remember offering that position to me? And I thought long and hard about that because it was very, very difficult time for us. How do we respond when there's a crisis? We, we, we hear the Lord's call. Something comes. We feel like the Lord has put something on our heart, and we take that step of faith, and it meets crisis. How do we respond? If you've been through a similar situation, I want to encourage you to allow your crisis to test you. Allow it to shape you. Allow it to refine you. Allow it to humble you, to transform you, but not to stop you. Persevere. Hang on. Wait upon the Lord. And look for burning bushes. We learn from the story of Moses that God comes to us in our crisis. You see, a burning bush is a place where God reveals himself to us. A place where we come to know God more fully. A place where we learn to worship God for who he is and not what he's doing. A place where God strengthens us with his presence. A place where God confirms his calling on your life. So we want to we recognize those burning bushes. We want to recognize his, his confirmation on our lives. And so we see this in the story of Moses. Circumstances, calling, crisis, confirmation. I've seen each one of these parts of Moses' story in my own life, and I wanted to share that with you just to encourage you in some way today. And the other application I want to make this morning from the life of Moses is when you do break up his life into these three 40-year periods, if you've, if you've never noticed this before, I want you to see that it was not until his the third period when Moses led his people out of Egypt. He had a season of learning in Egypt. He had a season of testing and refining in Midian. And then he had a season of fulfilling his call at 80 years old. Again, Moses' life's not meant to be a cookie cutter. I get that. It's not one size fits all. And we don't typically live to be 120. And so to say our season of calling begins at 80 doesn't really fit our context. But I do find it helpful to think about my life in these three, these three parts. The first one being a season of learning. The second one being a time of testing and refining. And then the last part being the sweet spot a season of calling. I have to admit, I get pretty excited about this model 
versus what I think is the typical Western model for life. You see, our, our typical Western model is the first part's learning, so that's the same, but then the second part's calling, and the last part's retiring. Shut her down. We've, we've done our time. We've, we've, we did our part. However, I would rather think of the first part of my life as learning in this part of my life that I'm currently in as, as testing and refining and shaping, and then there's still being some season of calling that my learning and my testing are preparing me for to fulfill. I can get really excited about that. That there is yet a significant season of calling ahead of me. You know, I, I hope that encourages some of you uh, who are perhaps entering into what you might think of as that last part of your life, that third part. Be encouraged that, that perhaps the best, most fulfilling days are ahead and not behind. Or perhaps if you're my age and you think, this is it. This is what I've been called to. This is my season. But why is it so hard? Well, it's because it's a season of testing and refining. And God has great plans to use your learning and to use your testing for his good. Don't rush. Don't be discouraged. We have much to learn. Our mustard seed of faith needs time to grow. God has plans for you still. Hope those applications from the life of Moses are helpful to you. I now want to conclude uh, with this gospel proclamation about the life of Jesus. Kind of bring us back to what I think is the point that Stephen's wanting to make by the life of Moses here in his sermon. The main takeaway that he wants us to see, that he wants us to recognize, to realize, is this parallel that is here between Moses and Jesus. After he tells the the, the story of Moses in verse 35, you may have, as you heard, listened to Gregory share this earlier, you may have noticed that there's a transition that happens at that verse. In verse 35, he moves from storytelling to summarizing. And there he repeats this term, this one, five times to summarize the life of Moses in such a way that if you've not made the connection to Jesus yet, hopefully you will now. This one, he says, is the same Moses whom they had rejected. This one was sent to be ruler and deliverer. This one led them out of Egypt and did wonders and miraculous signs. And then look at verse 37. This one is that Moses who told the Israelites, God will send you a prophet. And if you underline, if you circle, if you highlight, here it is. God will send you a prophet like me. Like me. From your own people. Moses said, there's another one coming. And he's just like me. 
and you will not be able to miss it. You won't be able to miss the similarities. Moses was given three distinct roles, and Jesus will be given these three same roles. There's a, there's a new and better Moses on the way to be our rescuer. Oh, Moses was sent to rescue his people from slavery. Jesus is sent to rescue his people from the slavery of sin. There's a new and better Moses on the way to be our reconciler. Moses was sent to reconcile the people of Israel. But Jesus is sent to reconcile our relationships. Do you know that? You need to hear that. Jesus came to this earth not just to save us from our sin, not just to rescue us from our mistakes. He came to reconcile brothers. He came to reconcile spouses. He came to reconcile parents with children. He came to reconcile broken relationships between neighbors. He came to do that. And then he also came to be this, this, this new and better Moses to be our ruler, to be our ruler. Moses was sent to lead and guide the people out of Egypt. Jesus is sent to lead us and guide us along paths of righteousness. But there's a problem. Just like there are these three distinct roles that Stephen shares, there are also three distinct responses from the people of God. And I want you to see those as well. In verse 25, Stephen gives this important insight that's found only here in the Bible. It's commentary about what Moses was thinking. He says, Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them. Moses supposed that his own people would recognize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. They didn't, re they didn't recognize him. Then Stephen says in verse 35, this same Moses whom they had rejected with their words, who made you ruler and judge? We don't want a ruler and judge over our lives. We don't want that. Who made you, Moses, ruler and judge? He also points out in verse 39, but our fathers refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him in their hearts and turned back to Egypt. You see, here's the problem. Moses was sent to rescue, to reconcile, and to rule the people of God, but the people of God did not recognize who he was they refused to obey him, and they rejected him in their hearts. Well, how many different ways can you say it? <laughs> they didn't recognize him. They refused to obey him, and they rejected him in their hearts. And it's a tragic tale of history repeating itself because God sends Jesus to rescue, reconcile, and rule the people of God, but they did not recognize who he was. They refused to obey him, and they rejected him in their hearts. Stephen concludes his sermon in verse 51 by saying, you are just like your fathers. Jesus and Moses. You cannot miss the parallels 
Or can you? Or can you? The elders and teachers of Israel missed it. What about you? God has sent his son to be your rescuer. To rescue you from the captivity of your sin, of the bondage of your past mistakes. He's come to rescue you from that. And he's come to be your reconciler, to heal those broken relationships, the hurt, the pain that we've caused others and that others have caused us. He's come to bring reconciliation to those relationships and to be your ruler, to lead you and guide you on paths of righteousness. Do you recognize him? Moses told the Israelites, God will send you a prophet just like me from your own people. You can reject him in your hearts and refuse to obey him, or you can repent and put your faith and trust into him. We're going to sing a song of invitation this morning. It's for you. God calls you to his son. He is your rescuer. He is your reconciler. And he is your ruler. This morning, repent and be baptized into his name. Or if, if you have, if you, if, 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 that's a, if you have put your faith, if you have turned from your sin and you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, and there's some way that either as a rescuer or as a reconciler or a ruler that you have not allowed Christ to take control of in your life, if there's some relationship that needs to be reconciled, if there's some past mistake that you just can't, you just feel like it's with you every day you wake up and you don't feel his rescue, or if, if, if you're still wanting to be in charge of your life, some form, some part of your life, and you don't want to bend your knee to him as your Lord, this invitation is for you to just to come and let Christ fulfill those roles in your life. Won't you come as we stand together and sing?